0: And welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 184. I'm Kip Clark.
1: And I'm Morgan Jaffe.
0: And today, Morgan, I want to talk to you about headline culture, by which I mean the tendency, the rather common tendency, apparently, to share headlines, to retweet links, etc., without reading or thoroughly consuming the content they serve to represent. And I think it's a fascinating subject that speaks to human nature and how we behave on the internet, but also a rather troubling one. It should be noted that we're recording this early in 2018, sometime after the 2016 presidential election here in the United States. And that's relevant because headline culture played a role in the 2016 election, but, I would argue, continues to play a role in various aspects of our lives, especially as the internet has become a pretty central pillar in most of our information and our communication with one another. So as I began preparing for this episode, I was anecdotally aware that most of us do this. I know I've participated in it from time to time without thinking about it. But I also wanted to know scientifically if this has been studied, if this has been documented, and if you Google people sharing headlines without reading them or any synonymous phrase or sentence, you'll come across several articles, many of which come from well-known and respected sources like the Washington Post, that document... Pretty staggering statistics in my mind, indicating anywhere from 60% to 80% of users who share articles online do so before actually clicking through and consuming or considering the content therein. One especially humorous example that I appreciated comes from June 4th, 2017, when the satire site Science Post shared the headline, Study. 70% of facebook users only read the headline of science stories before commenting and what's interesting there is that if you click through that article the body of text contains no substance whatsoever and is in fact lorem ipsum text which is placeholder text used by web designers or graphic designers simply to see how text might format online but it's complete gibberish nearly 46,000 people shared this post and as the article which described this to me points out it's an interesting example of life imitating comedy and i think precisely illustrates the danger and also the fascinating aspect of human nature within this topic
1: and kip before i respond i just want to remind our listeners that we're going to be posting all the articles that we talk about today on the website i've been thinking a lot about this topic You were just summing up how this fake article was shared so many times by so many people. It got me thinking a lot about how people will share these articles and without reading them. But why? Why do we do this? Because I'll admit, I've probably done this. I can't think of a specific example, but in no way can I say I've never done this. So why do we share articles without reading them? Do we do this to seem well-read? Do we do it to seem well-educated? And what does it mean to be well-read or educated, or even informed? We've talked about this before with how people create an online persona. And is this just another aspect of our online persona? One possibility is that people really do want to seem well-read. People want others to think they know what's going on. And sometimes that means knowing what's going on in politics, or world events, or current events, or even pop culture, or something that might not be as quote-unquote serious but I feel like there's also a lot of danger in sharing these articles without reading them. We're just getting a title, and a title isn't always what the article is actually about. If I'm on Facebook, for example, and I have a friend who always shares articles, what do I think of them? Do I think that they're smarter than some of my friends who don't share articles? Do I assume they know more about information than what I know? And what do I think about these articles? If I have one friend who shares an article every day, and a friend who will only share an article about once a month. Does one have more value? Am I going to say to myself, this person who shares an article once a month, this must be a very important article in comparison to this person who shares an article more consistently. But in reality, it may be a possibility that neither of them have read anything that they're posting.
0: The example of the once a month and the consistent friend illustrates something really fascinating to me. And that is how we cultivate trust in online relationships. And I'm of two minds on this one. On one hand, the people who post really consistently are likely to be favored by algorithms and also by the nature of being seen are more visible because they're constantly putting new data into the data stream. And therefore, there are more nodes of interaction for their followers, their listeners, their Facebook friends, if you will. However, I often treat the once-a-month friend with more gravity, because I have a sense that they are reading various things, that they are consuming media, but they are discerning, they are filtering what it is they want to share. And to me, that feels meaningful. They know they could be sharing every day, you are of course free to use the web however you'd like, but they're choosing to do so, I presume, perhaps optimistically, with some discretion. It's also worth noting that there's a very common phrase I see on Twitter which I find relevant here and that is in people's bios for those who don't use Twitter a bio is a brief summary of who the user is or something they want to briefly tell the world about themselves I often see the phrase retweets do not equal endorsements and that's usually used in a professional context where a journalist or someone else who is tweeting and retweeting a lot Wants to clarify that they may be retweeting something with which they do not agree. And that has always deeply resonated with me because one of my goals in life is to show people things. Whether it's a new opinion, a new idea, something fascinating, or something nuanced that deserves further consideration, I'm of the mind that I should share those things when I want more eyes to look at them, and especially when I want more minds to consider whatever content it is. But there are times where I intentionally will share that link without adding any input of my own not because I don't have anything to say, but because I don't want to color the reactions of whoever might be consuming that content. I legitimately want them to go in with a relatively neutral experience. I say that though, knowing of course, that's relatively impossible. Even if the most basic information is that Kip shared this, whoever comes across that information and clicks on it may be doing so because of their opinion of me. Maybe they hate me and can't wait to prove that I'm a moron for sharing whatever it is. Or maybe they think highly of me and therefore value the fact that I shared it. And my ideal world, though I would love to be respected, is one in which I can share almost as a merchant of information without my personality affecting others' perception of that article, etc. But I think this presents a crucial element of headline culture, not just that we share perhaps blindly but that we do consider who the sharers are in either sharing it further or clicking on whatever that person chose to highlight.
1: There are so many directions I could go in right now. I want us to continue talking about how retweeting does not necessarily equal an endorsement. But before I do, a question of sorts. Going back to the frequent poster versus the not frequent poster. Could the once a month poster be sharing only once a month because that's when they see a widely shared article.
0: That's a great question, and it should definitely be noted that none of these behaviors occur within a vacuum. We are always reacting to those around us or to cultural perceptions of how we think we should act. That's just human nature, and it is a factor at play in headline culture. And honestly, I do suspect that the once-a-month poster or someone who posts even less frequently than that may be affected by something particularly popular. There are various things going on in our culture and society right now, and many of those stories often have particularly bold or gripping headlines, which is a subject I'd like to briefly touch on and say, the companies, the news organizations, the media of all forms, including independent creators like you and I, are aware that we are competing for the attention of viewers, listeners, readers, etc., And so we're not unaware that headlines or a particularly compelling thumbnail image are often what make the difference between a click and someone scrolling past on an ever-expanding river of information that is their newsfeed or their Twitter timeline. There's simply too much noise, too much information to consume. And so it must also be said that headlines, a term I'm using to define any title for content, are created with a certain impulsiveness in mind we want you to come consume our content. And as some of the articles we read noted, that can be done with a satirical bent. Perhaps some headline says why Person X would make an excellent political candidate when the article is completely satirizing Person X. But for those of us who do not read that article and instead share that headline out of outrage, we perpetuate an illusion in a sense and also create the idea in the minds of our friends and our followers that something is going on which isn't actually. There was a great line in the articles we read about blind peer-to-peer sharing based off of outrage or emotion, and it brought to my mind a very basic immunology example in which someone is a carrier to a virus or some other pathogen, but they aren't yet experiencing symptoms. And so when they shake the hand of a job interviewer or hug a family member or friend, they don't know what they're passing on, but they are passing on something. Similarly, we should all be very cautious, in almost a medically safe sense, about what we're passing on in an informational context, because other people do process and absorb the information that we put out there. And I'm not saying it's the end of the world, but it is something that we should be mindful about.
1: For me, I find that a lot of this is all tying together. The question of, why don't we read the articles? The question of, do we only share things because others have been sharing it? Talking about how retweets do not equal endorsements. That makes me wonder if these Twitter accounts have that because they are not reading these articles, and they are simply sharing what is trending at the time. It might be an article that's related to politics, and the user might be a politician, It also makes me think of who typically has these retweets do not equal endorsements disclaimers on their profiles. I find that most of the time when I see that it's from a politician or from a journalist. Could it be in the same way that you were saying you want to spark conversation? A one of these users want to do just that. But I also imagine that a politician or a journalist or someone else that might have this disclaimer, they are exposed to so much media day in and day out that they might not actually have the time to read everything. And so that's why they put this disclaimer. It's something that they can see a lot of people are reading, are sharing, are tweeting about. And while they want to be a part of that conversation, they might not have had time to actually read the article or read whatever shareable post it was or watch whatever shareable post it was. But they want to either create discussion around it, either for or against, which is why they can have that disclaimer. Or they want it to seem like they are involved in whatever is being shared and like they are up to date in these current events or current articles or facts or news or whatever it is that they're sharing. One of the articles was saying how we have all this information and all of this access to information and people are just reading the headlines and the headlines might not even present all the facts or even be truthful at all. When we started this episode, and I don't want to get too political, but I feel like it needs to be said. You mentioned that we were recording after the 2016 election and in early 2018. And I can't ignore the idea of fake news and spreading fake news and also being very wary of the information you read online. What does that mean in a culture where people have the mindset that retweets do not equal endorsements? How do we decide what is reputable and who to trust online?
0: With the mention of reputability, it's also worth asking how we define it. Journalism and academia would tell us that something is reputable if it has multiple sources that have been checked, if it is peer-reviewed, and also if it is based in fact rather than opinion. And I believe that objectivity, which we've discussed on the show before, is something to be strived for, but admittedly, we are all very subjective human beings. We are fallible. We are flawed. We are imperfect. So while journalists and academics might agree, I think the popular definition of reputability is that other people find a source to be reputable, that a source is in fact popular. We participate in a mob mentality of sorts online, where if we see something that has millions of views or hundreds of thousands of shares on any social media platform, I'll be the first one to say that my interest is piqued because I'm curious to see what others saw of value in that content, and I'm not alone there. But there's a clear danger in this, because mobs are not always correct, and often, history shows us, make dangerous and really rash decisions that are not based as much in logic as they are in emotion. My ideal world is a balance of the two. We are logical beings, but we're also emotional beings, and that can't be denied. And in touching on emotion and logic... I think people with different leanings or predilections approach web content very differently based on who they are. My suspicion, this is a hypothesis, is that people who are more emotionally based are very reactive and susceptible to headlines which are meant to stoke a certain emotional reaction, be it great fear, great joy, great relief, delight, etc., But people who are more logically based, interested in facts, arguments, and lengthy dialogue, those who may also have the time to consume longer content, are willing to click through to go past the emotional membrane of a headline to actually learn something, to see what's being discussed or examined within a particular piece of content. But coming back to emotion, that's one of the reasons this topic was particularly captivating for me i have concerns very strong feelings about headline culture that i hope we can discuss and that our listeners also discuss even if they don't agree with you or me another reading we did mentions the very public concern that web culture smartphones and other technology of the 21st century is rewiring us and in particular shortening our attention spans but the article makes the point which i think is a compelling one worthy of further consideration, that the internet is not rewiring us, but rather the content that tends to captivate us taps into an essential element of human nature. The articles we read are well-crafted, very specifically designed to garner our attention. So echoing something I said when you and I discussed smartphones and that Atlantic article back in 2017, It's not so much that we are being destroyed or mentally deconstructed by this alien or novel technology, but rather new technologies, which are indeed novel, are still connected to something that is human about us and how we go about the world. Even if there is a new layer of polish on that technology, it is not fundamentally new in how we interact with it.
1: One thing we haven't talked about yet, which could really be its own episode, is clickbait. Here we are talking about headlines and how people don't read articles, and all clickbait is trying to get you to do is click the link to open the article, not even necessarily read the article. So taking in this idea of headlines and how people will share articles without reading them, and the idea of fake news, it's almost like we've created this monster, and the monster is clickbait.
0: And before we close this episode, what would you like the audience to think about after listening to this conversation?
1: I have a question for listeners. Why don't we read the articles? Is it an attention span issue? Is it an interest issue? Do we just not want to put the effort in? Have you ever shared an article that you didn't read? And are you willing to explain why?
0: And a bullet point of mine we didn't get to that also could be its own conversation like clickbait. I'm curious to know if it matters what genre or interest group the affected articles cover. Do we find it more dangerous and damaging to our society when scientific articles are misunderstood or extensively shared without proper reading and analysis? Or do we find it more damaging when political news, be it legislative changes or scandals, etc., is shared without its own consideration? I think it's subjective, and I'd be really curious to hear what listeners have to say and if they'd like an episode about that topic. And Morgan, as you had brought up, I'd be really interested to know how listeners would define being well read, because I do think, again, touching on my perception of human nature, surface level appearance, in both a literal and abstract sense, is an unfortunately key component of how many of us exist and live. Listeners may not have been thinking of the following example, but a lot of dating apps use headlines. We don't get to know someone thoroughly. The people we match with have only given us a few snippets of who they are, perhaps a few photographs, maybe a video, but often nothing that's terribly substantial, nothing that could tell us a great deal about that person without further conversation. So what does it say about our behavior that we might swipe right or left on people we barely know, people we can't claim to thoroughly comprehend? Is that an issue of time? And lastly, as of course we are all human beings, it's not uncommon, and I think in fact drives a lot of human change, that we want to feel like we are a part of something larger than ourselves. So if we see something which has been massively shared, retweeted, etc., I think that's one very basic reason we might feel compelled to contribute not because we understand but because we want to feel included we want to participate in something that is monumental perhaps even culturally significant or life-changing and i think that social component is a big part of this topic overall but as always we want this to be a conversation among not simply a conversation between similar to the idea of sharing headlines without discussing them thoroughly or understanding their content, we know that ours are just two voices and there are many possible approaches and perspectives to the idea of headline culture. So if you have any thoughts, opinions, or feedback of any kind, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you can receive perks like bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.
1: And I'm Morgan Jaffe. See you next time.